Okay, so on last week's episode, I met Kate Walsh, who makes monsters for TV and film. We're talking creature prosthetics, animatronics, that kind of stuff. And while we were chatting, she said that for the performer, wearing all the prosthetics and makeup and stuff, for them, it was challenging. Like, not just any performer could do it. You're basically locked into something that's very, 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 very warm, sometimes has restricted breathing and mostly restricted vision. It's a character that doesn't have an anatomy of a human and it needs to operate in a different way. And it requires an understanding of that character and the physicality to to bring it to life. And you can really tell when someone doesn't know what they're doing that it just kills the character. It doesn't matter how good our work is if someone goes into it and it's just sort of flopping around. Like, I couldn't do it. I wanted to meet someone who could. So Kate recommended I talk to Ross Mullen, who, if you watch Game of Thrones, you'll have seen as a White Walker. Or if you watch Doctor Who, you'll have seen him performing several aliens in the show. This was the guy beneath the rubber suit. I'm Liam Garrity. It's time to meet your monster. Maker. I mean maker. Meet your maker. Ross is originally from Montreal, Canada, but lives in London now. Always wanted to be an actor since I was like five. More specifically, I wanted to be a monster on Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo, where are you? What was it about the monsters on Scooby-Doo that like attracted you? Well, I loved Scooby-Doo growing up. I was born in 1967. And I guess one of the things I adored about Scooby-Doo was really the cross-gender sort of appeal to it. There was guys and girls hanging out and were just kind of cool friends. And they had a dog and I longed for a dog, which I eventually got because uh, I always got my way when I was a kid. And the monsters were cool. I always had this kind of attraction to... You know, the old-fashioned monsters like Frankenstein, Dracula, the mummy, zombies, all that stuff, the creature of the Black Lagoon. And Scooby-Doo was kind of a safe place in between those that scared me in the evening and what I could enjoy on a Saturday morning. This is where Cass Elliot was standing when she yelled down to us. Amazing. She just vanished into thin air. Thin air? <laughs> Cass Elliot? <laughs> they had like guest stars sometimes, like Mama Cass would be on certain episodes from Mamas and the Papas or Sunny and Cher. And that to me was like a massively cool crossover as well. Oh, there you are. Will you quit breathing on my neck and come up here? I always loved the way the monsters kind of appeared and then also how it was sort of a big reveal at the end, that it was actually just a big rubber mask, you know, and I kind of really longed to be one of those monsters, I guess, and be that horrible Mr. Magoo who is, you know, revealed at the end <laughs> by Daphne. And it would have been mine if it hadn't been to those meddling kids. And it wasn't just monsters that Ross was into as a kid. He loved puppets. My uncle, Frank, he bought me loads of these really beautiful puppets. And I, I think maybe my brother still has one. They were not made out of real fur, but they were made out of like what looked like it was a beautiful faux fur and a fuzz kind of element. And they were really like sooty and sweep, like real three finger puppets. But they were beautiful. And I used to put on little puppet shows in my house. I was obsessed with Sesame Street and I loved Oscar the Grouch. 
Who is I'm kicking my can? Oh, hi, Grouchy. And my family are from Northern Ireland on my dad's side. And everybody tells the story of when I was four and I was over there. I suddenly got up on a piano <laughs> and started singing I Love Trash. Oh, I love trash. Anything dirty or dingy or dusty. Anything ragged or rotten or rusty. I really feel like acting and performance called me. I I never, my parents have nothing to do with the performing arts. My dad's was a really good storyteller, I guess. But, you know, growing up like a different kid, I was definitely a gay kid when I was little. And I longed to be somebody different other than who I was or to, to be out of the status quo. The television was where I lived, Bewitched, uh, I Dream of Jeannie, Gilligan's Island, all these shows I grew up with, Scooby-Doo. I wanted to get out of the suburban world. And, and I loved shows that showed people getting out of that suburban world too, like Samantha and Bewitched, you know, to believe that there was somebody special and unique in the suburbs. And I kind of wanted to be that person. I always thought I'd end up in Hollywood or America. Again, things just call to you in life. I pushed really hard to become an actor with my parents. And they put me into private classes when I was 13. They hoped that it would end there, but it didn't. I had a great teacher. He was obsessed with Tennessee Williams and introduced that to me and all these young girls in my class. I was one of the only few boys in the class. And we would do these, you know, suddenly last summer and really adult plays when we were like 13 or 14. And I loved it because they were really dramatic and he was a really dramatic teacher. Then Ross went off to drama school. I studied for quite a while, like three years in college, three years in university. And I excelled mostly as what I would call a physical performer. I did a lot of mask work. I remember my Romanian teacher, George Popovich, saying, you know, he was, he could never really understand me. We were doing Chekhov and Shakespeare and although like had a great voice for it and I was relatively good at it. It was when I did Moliere and I did the high camp that he was really like, oh, this is your thing. This is your niche. You are definitely a physical performer. And um, after I left college, after I left university, I worked for a committed Alarte company in Canada called Odyssey Theatre in Ottawa and uh, worked for them for about four seasons. And then he moved to London. Well, he came on holidays and decided to stay. I just fell in love with London, and within about four or five months, I answered an ad in the paper for Jim Henson's Creature Shop, which was based in Camden. Went along for basically a quick lesson and audition in what it would be like, the art of puppeteering. Learning reverse scan monitor, watching, you know, when you're puppeteering, which was very difficult at the time. So when puppeteers are filming a scene, they have a little TV screen so they can see what the camera sees. But it's flipped. So if you walk your character over to the left, you're watching it on the screen moving to the right. So as you can imagine, that could get a bit confusing. I found it challenging. I found the, it was the first time in my life that I was working with performers that weren't actors. They were mostly, puppeteers are a strange hybrid. They kind of are almost like technical people, sort of stage manager-y kind of people. And they're usually very good at creating and making things. I'm not at all. So 
I kind of fit in and I kind of didn't. And I stayed there for about two months. And I was trained by Kevin Clash, who did Elmo on Sesame Street. I liked it, but I didn't love it. And so after a few months, I just kind of said, gee, I'm really sorry. I'm going to take a job touring with a musical. And they were pretty pissed off. They were like, oh, man, we trained you all this time and you're just fucking off. And I was like, sorry. What was it about the puppetry, I suppose, that didn't entirely click? Um, I guess what really and is still very challenging for me with puppets, because I do occasionally get handed a puppet for an audition occasionally, um, and I get called in. To me, it's like, I just don't pick things up and go, oh, wow, this is I I, I see what this voice would be. I, I don't see that so clearly. Uh, some people, I feel that way sometimes when I voice animation too. I don't look at an, a still animation or an inanimate object and go, oh, wow, I know what this would sound like. I need a little bit more direction than that. Despite all this, Ross went on to puppeteer on a kid's show called Bears Behaving Badly on CBBC. He played one of the main characters, Nev the Bear. I think with Nev the Bear, when I got that job, first of all, the desperation of money had kicked in. I was really in debt. And I remember saying to my agent, I'll do anything, like anything to get out of this massive debt and not lose my house. And she phoned me and she said, listen, there's a job going. It's an already established character on a live television show called Smile. But they need somebody to puppeteer and also voice. Right now, the puppeteer and the voice are separate. But they're developing the character a bit more. So could you go in? So it was easy for me to watch Smile. And they sent me over some tapes. And I just kind of was like, oh, I can do this voice. And I can get this rhythm. It was already established. I think if somebody handed me Kermit the Frog or Miss Piggy, I'd probably be able to do that. But if you handed me a raw puppet and said, start from scratch, I'm a bit like, well, I don't really get it. And that's to me is... I don't know. That's that's the art form of a real true puppeteer. They bring the inanimate to life. So for a while, Ross concentrated on musical theatre until one day he got a call that would bring him a step closer to becoming the monster he'd always wanted to be. Well, in 1999, I got a call from my agent, the director, this director, Marco Brambillo, who was working for Hallmark, was looking for a very physical, tall actor to, he was also strangely enough from Montreal, which is my hometown. <laughs> I think this has something to do with it too. I was basically, I was, I, I was brought out to Pinewood Studios for the development of Dinotopia. This May on ABC, journey to a place you will not believe. Dinotopia. Basically, it was the beginning of motion capture. And Framestore were on board as the animators for the piece. And if you don't know Dinotopia, it's a world where dinosaurs and humans live together on an, a crazy island. And these two boys get shipwrecked there, one of them being Wentworth Miller, who went on to Prison Break fame. Where are we exactly? Oh, Dinotopia. How could a place like this really exist? Without everybody knowing. I was brought out to the studio. They showed me loads of sketches of the of the dinosaur. I talked a lot about my work with mask theater. I'd never played a dinosaur or a, or a monster for that matter, really. But it, the idea really appealed to me. And I kind of moved around. I, you know, when he said, 
can you try and move around like this character? And you're a librarian. So you're a dinosaur, but you're a librarian. So you do human things and you talk. And the character would be voiced by Lee Evans. And I had a, an idea of what Lee was like, you know, from his performances. So I kind of just did my thing, you know, which is always fun. And then he just said, wow, that's cool. And then he, he brought me into another room and introduced me to all these animators. And he said, hey, everybody, this is the guy who's going to be playing Zippo. And I thought, oh, I, got, I guess I got the job. <laughs> Gosh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, 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 no. It's perfectly all right. It, it was completely my fault. This dinosaur can talk. Datak Almada. Datak Almada, Marion. Uh, David and Carl Scott, right? Uh, and yes, I can speak English and French. Uh, bonjour, mon ami. Bonjour. <laughs> you know, I, I worked on that for eight or nine months almost. It was like oh, a really long time. That being kind of the early days of motion capture, like, was that kind of a weird thing to be doing? It was very weird, mostly because they didn't really do motion capture with me. They didn't put, everybody said, oh, did they put balls and sticks and all kinds of things around you? Not at all. I literally dressed up as a dinosaur with a massive tail that the costume department put on me. And I had a big dinosaur mask that sometimes I'd put on my head or sometimes I'd wear on the end of my head, hand and puppeteer to make the neck longer. They used me for, uh, they would do three takes one was called like a Zippo take, which was the character that I was playing, Zippo take. So that was just a take with me and all of the actors. I had to know and memorize all my lines, which were to the pace and the, to the timing that Lee did them because he had already voiced it. And then they would do like a, a balls and sticks take, which was the frame frame store take, which was just where I was standing, where the balls were. And, you know, they had these big silver balls, which is still used to this day. And then there was a hero take, which was just a pass with just the actors, me off camera, giving them the lines. So doing all these different takes, it was a, it was a real like kind of weird figuring out on how we were sort of working, but we worked like this largely. But the, the result is quite beautiful. I mean, I watched a bit of Dinotopia not long ago. Somebody put it up at a Comic-Con, just the clips of the stuff I was in. And it was a really unusual experience for me. But that's, I think, where it was born that I could do creature work. <laughs> yeah. Well, really what happened was I did Dinotopia. Then there was a few years where I wasn't doing much at all. Very little work. And then that was when I kind of went into, went into, went into financial, like, uh-oh. Probably because I made so much money on Dinotopia. And then I was like, oh, God, I'm working in a call center again. What? And then suddenly I got this job on the BBC working for Bear Behaving Badly. While I was doing Bear Behaving Badly, I got called in to audition for Clash of the Titans. The casting director said, listen, we're also casting for three witches. And I think it'd be really good because it'd be great if one of them was really tall and obese and like, but we don't know what they are. They need to be kind of like sexy and weird and ugly and funny, but like gross and a bit scary. And I was like, oh, sounds really great. <laughs> so they just turned the camera on for five minutes. I took off my shoes and socks, rolled them up and I did like a weird blind improv of you know sexual dance and eating babies it was just weird you know just have one question which easy 
I'll tell you, Clash of the Titans nearly killed me because the prosthetics were super heavy and hot and I overheated numerous times on set. And that job was great because it introduced me to Connor O'Sullivan, who's an amazing prosthetics makeup artist. He then called me in to be seen for The White Walker for Game of Thrones. I went in for that and he almost immediately said, don't worry, it's not going to be as hard a slog as Clash of the Titans. But the two main things they really wanted with the White Walker was somebody who could ride a horse, which I don't. I think they were really looking for somebody who is, I don't know, well, they were looking for me, I guess. You know, they were looking for a skinnier guy than a big muscly guy because they wanted to make the character look lean and warrior-like, but more sort of in the style of ancient native American or tribal sort of, you know, someone who looks like they've been running through the forest loads and was very agile. It was a really fun audition. I, I wasn't sure I was going to get it because when I came into the room, I said, hey, I'm here for King of Thrones. And Nina Gold said, well, it's actually Game of Thrones. And I was like, oh, is it a game? And Because I thought, you know, I audition for games sometimes too. <laughs> and she said, no, it's actually based on a series of books. It's been on TV for a year and it it was already nominated for a few Emmys. I was like, oh, I'm not getting this. But I was my usual charming self, I guess. And when they asked me, you know, do you ride a horse? Uh, I was like, no. And they were like, really? Have you never ridden a horse? And I was like, no. And they're like, oh, have you ever been on a horse? And I was like, yeah, when I was like five. And they were like, see, you know how to ride a horse. I was like, no, 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 no I've not ridden a horse. So don't, don't put me on a horse. And then there was a little buzz, buzz, buzz. And then they said, hey, listen, if we sent you out for horseback riding lessons, would you be up for that? And I said, yeah, of course. Like, I'm totally up for that. I love animals. And so I got that job and I learned how to ride a horse. I learned how to ride a horse bareback, which is crazy. And I did three seasons on Game of Thrones. And while I was on Game of Thrones, I got a weird call for Doctor Who. They were doing the Doctor Who proms at the Royal Albert Hall. Hello, Albert Hall! We made it! Spencer Wilding, who did the Ice Warrior, couldn't do it. He was away filming something. And they had recommended me because they said, oh, Ross is pretty much the same build. Well, actually, Spencer's like about two inches taller than me and he's built like really muscly. Uh, he's a kickboxer, you know, so, and I am not. I was brought out to Cardiff to the Doctor Who experience and I had a very memorable audition there. Went upstairs with the costume person and there was the ice warrior strapped to a nuclear sub something rather next to the kylie minogue made outfit that's what i remember first of all she said disrobe you know take off all your clothes because we'll get you into this and then she was like oh, i can't really get this off it's kind of stuck to the thing she said i kind of half expected the costume to be not hooked up to the exhibit and said i'm gonna go and get somebody to help me and i was standing there in my underwear <laughs> in after the exhibition had closed, obviously. And I was sort of like standing there in my underwear alone in the Doctor Who in the Doctor Who experience. And I thought, this is really interesting. Like I'm just like sat here in my underwear, like in the Doctor Who experience, all by myself. 
And and it was sort of half dark, very Scooby-Doo like, you know, all the monsters are kind of like pointed in your direction, staring at you. And eventually somebody came back and the costume fit. And I was like, okay, it fits, but just, you know, it was a bit clunky. Every time I lifted my leg, the whole suit would like jam up under my jaw. I just said, you know, it's it's absolutely fine. But the main thing is, I don't think I'll be able to walk downstairs. So, and they were like, don't worry, we're not going to make the ice warrior walk downstairs. That's just ridiculous. Uh, cut to, you know, the first day of rehearsal for the Royal Albert Hall. I get there. They're like, it's going to be amazing. You're going to come up like in the middle of the Royal Albert Hall in a big, massive block of ice. And then you bust out of this block of ice. You push it from side to side and I thought wow this is my share moment you know I'm like you know this is the beginning of the concert darling and then they were like yeah you come up you bust out of the the ice and then you walk down the stairs I was like hang on a minute walk down the stairs like I can't walk down the stairs they're like oh well you got to walk down the stairs and then walk amongst the crowd I was like shit so I was like okay And there was a handrail there, you know, once we got onto the set. And I thought, well, you can't, like, I'm the ice warrior. I can't just, like, hold onto the handrail and go down the stairs. They'll look like I'm, you know, sort of the 85-year-old ice warrior. So I kind of, like, put my hip against it and slid. I was like, coming down the stairs. And I think if you kind of see, because you can kind of see it maybe in some videos somewhere, it looks really awkward, me going down those stairs. After that, I kind of didn't think I'd work for Doctor Who again. Lo and behold, I was walking through Soho not long after that, maybe six months later. And my agent phoned and she was like, where are you? And I said, well, I'm I'm in Soho. She said, great, perfect. Yeah, Doctor Who, they're really stuck. They need somebody to play the silence this Friday for Matt Smith's final episode, Time of the Doctor. Are you free? And I said, yes. And she said, great. But basically, they need to see if the costume fits you because it's obviously been worn by somebody else. And I was like, okay, sure. She's like, just go to this hotel, go to the front desk and say Doctor Who. And I was like, okay, right. So I go to this hotel like a couple of hours later. I go in, I'm like, Doctor Who. And they're like, right, here you go. Give me a key. I go upstairs. I go into a room in a hotel. I sit down on the bed. (laughs) So weird. And I was like, this is really weird. Again, I'm having a Doctor Who weird audition experience. And uh, and then there's knock, knock, knock. And there's this guy and he's got the silence, head and hands with him. That's what he's got. And he's like, oh, great. Perfect. Try these on. So I'm trying them on. Then knock, knock, knock on the door. And it's a, you know, it's a woman from the costume department. She's got the, the silence suit. And so they're like, yeah, yeah, try this whole thing on. And I try it all on and and she's like, does it fit? And I was like, yeah. She said, great. I'm texting the studio. Just tell them, like, everything's okay. You're you're good to do the job. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And she said, super. And then I was, like, stripping off and getting into my clothes. And then we were all out of that hotel room, like, within, you know, less than a half an hour. And I thought, what a weird, dodgy deal. <laughs> People at the hotel must have been like, what the hell is going on in there? Um, some strange affair. Oh. 
it certainly is different than you imagine it when you're four. Because <laughs> you don't realize you're going to be overheating and suffocating and nearly dying half the time.、Um, and you'd have to really, because there's, you have to really put on your big boy pants and go, geez, it's hard to breathe in here. Man, it's impossible to see. This kind of sucks. I'm kind of hyperventilating. I'm, you know. And then, then something else kicks in. You know, you've, you, you have to go, okay, look, this is a TV show. And TV is for fun. And it's like nobody wants to kill me here, obviously. This could be obviously very difficult to do. But, you know, the people at Millennium FX,、um, as they were with Connor's company,、uh, they are awesome. They really, really look after you. And one of the most amazing things about being a creature in film and television. Is your little posse of people who look after you. So, when you are an actor, normally you don't really have that posse of people unless you're, I guess, I don't know, like, I don't know, somebody big, <laughs> which I'm not. And、uh, so they're always with you, kind of touching you up, looking after you, getting you water, gossiping with you, telling stories with you, and always, always, always making sure you are okay. And so the ability to sort of say, hey, I can't breathe or I need a second to get out of this, it always feels like it's been okay with me. I think that's probably why I was asked back quite frequently to work is that I can vocalize that. I can say, hey, listen, I've got maybe one or two more takes in me and then I got to get off set and power down a bit, you know, get some juice into me, some water, knowing your limits. So there's all of that. And then on top of that, you suddenly catch sight of. The playback on the camera or yourself in a mirror, and you think, hey man, I'm like Scooby Doo cool right now. It's, it's an absolute gift and blessing. And I do all these sci fi cons, which are super fun, meeting loads of fans, talking a lot about this sort of thing. I never tire of it. It reminds me of how lucky I am. Meet Your Maker is produced and hosted by me, Liam Garrity. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you're enjoying the podcast, take 60 seconds now, like right now, to go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. These ratings let other awesome people like you hear about the podcast. Okay, see you next week. 